When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Governor, and welcome to Goblet of Wine. I'm Charlie. <laughs> and I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings reading our favourite childhood book, but this time we've added alcohol and a little bit of cynicism. In today's episode, we're reading chapter 27 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So grab yourself a glass of your favourite alcoholic beverage. Beverage. Beverage, you know. And why don't you join us on this drunken, reminiscent journey? Cheers to that. Cheers to that, love. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Welcome to Goblet of Complaints. Goblet of Sweat. We've made that joke before. Have we? Well. It's the hottest day of the year so far. All jokes are just repeating the same jokes and calling it a bit. Yeah, uh, it's the hottest day of the year so far. We and have fans on, so yes, for the first time ever, we've just gone. Do you know what? We can work out the audio. We'll try yeah. to minus the fans' hands. So we've got two fans pointing at us because there would just be no way to do this. No, no, unless we did it naked, which would now be an issue because of the video podcast. It would indeed. So what if the past like four or five years, of Goblet of Wine, we had actually been recording naked? And they no don't knew. know that we haven't. You don't know that during those audio files, our tits weren't just roaming. Charlie's decided to dress like Britney Spears. It was an accident, but I just got dressed and did my hair and then all of a sudden I was like, my loneliness is killing me. And I, I must confess, I still believe, still believe. Goblet of Wine uh, album coming soon. Coming to you. Another repetitive joke we call a bit. Stop grooming me. I'm not. I'm making sure our merch is visible. Buy our merch. It's a beautiful look. Gorgeous. Designed by us. We'll leave the link below. Get it on a notebook. Get it on a phone case. Yeah. Get it on a shower curtain. We've turned off the shower curtain option. Why? Oh, haven't we? I thought we just always had the shower curtain option off. Have we got it on? I can't remember. Please buy our merch on a shower curtain. Please. It's so funny. Yeah. Here we are. Um, it's like 4.30 in the afternoon. We meant to start recording at 1pm. We're hungover. Yes, we're hungover. We went out for Neil's birthday last night. It's 30 degrees outside. It's a fun time. It's a good fun time. There's and we're about to drink hangover sweats. There's weather sweats. I didn't bring a spoon to stir that again. Just jingle, jingle it. it. And we're about to drink... Hannah, what are we drinking? Today's alcohol comes from our producer level patron, Arthur. Who is a bastard. Arthur said, 
I'm requesting you make a drink using equal parts of every alcohol that you own. Now we didn't count, but it was about what, 40? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want to see us making it, it's up on the Patreon as a bonus episode. We videoed making it, but... Oh, it's so bad, because now it's separated, so all the bits are at the bottom. Look at the colour of like that. It's like grey-green with floating chunks in it. <laughs> it looks... I've never seen a colour like that. And it's got chunks where the I... creamy ones... I can't even fathom what this is going to taste like. It smells spicy. Mm. Yeah, I can smell um fireball, is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. The sound is making me think, oh Pim's on a hot summer's day. Look, if we just tell ourselves that it's Pim's. Let's do that, right? If we just can you reach the glass. Envision. <laughs> oh it splashed me. Do it in your mouth in a minute. Shall I pour all of it? Yeah. Yeah. It looks like swamp water. It really does. That looks like pond water. Oh my god. It looks like when you were really ill, it's really bad vomit. So this has got nothing to water it down apart from ice. It's just pure alcohol. The only non-alcoholic things in here are alcohol-free gin and possibly one of like the butterscotch flavouring things. It's not as bad as I thought. This might sound like stating the obvious, but there are so many flavours. <laughs> yes. It's not as bad as I thought. The main flavour I'm getting is spicy. The fireball's really coming through the strongest. Yeah, it's like spicy and minty. I can also taste quite a lot like fruity in there. I can't, taste any, I can't taste any creamy, luckily. Oh, that sip tasted different. <laughs> <laughs> it's a treat with every mouthful. The problem is, if if you gave this to me blind and I couldn't see it, if you put it in a sippy cup for me, yes, I'd dislike it, but the look of it is making me want to retch. Yeah, no, it is um, an abomination. It really is. Like, it's also strong. Like, there's nothing in that to water it down. It's just pure alcohol. Yeah. It's got the moonshine in there. My That's, stomach just made um... a very strange sound. It just went... <laughs> We're hungover. I just ate some spicy noodles and now I'm drinking this. That's going to be unpleasant. Thanks, Arthur. Thanks, Arthur. God, what else do we do at the start? Oh! House Cup! Oh, God. Wow. More because you're, en More because you're ending it at the weirdest time you could. Look, they have been whinging at me. And it it's completely fair enough <laughs> that we haven't ended it. Because we normally do it halfway through a book now and... For various reasons we didn't, such as forgetting, um, not being bothered, um, forgetting again. Um, and the issue is, is like one time that either we forget or can't or whatever, it doesn't just add like two weeks, it adds like six weeks. So yeah, I was like, if they can't wait until the end of the book, because they will string me up. So what do I get now? What does that mean really at the almost... end of the book? Nothing! So, also, uh, I'm gonna say in advance, there's a twist on this year's. For those of you who are new or can't remember, if you're part of our Discord, you earn points every time that you 
uh, talk. Those points then go into your house cup relating to what house you're in. By the way, you get to choose your own house. It is not the house that we call you in your Patreon tier. That confuses a lot of people. Yes. It is your personal house that you feel attached to. And then that comes into the house cup. That also, if you're one of the people who've just won the most points overall, you get to be a prefect if you're the most in your house. And then there's the head human who is the most overall. Yes. And there is no price. Yeah. Just bragging rights. You um, get little things on Discord. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to make your predictions? Gryffindor have lost. You have such little faith in your own house. Yeah, I know. Who's won? Ravenclaw. Okay. With 50,781 points, it's Gryffindor. Gryffindor, you're fucking pathetic. What the fuck? We That's always terrible. have been and we always will be. Bear in mind, the winning house has 200,000 more points than that. <laughs> in third place, I just had to check that was three fingers, <laughs> with 139,000 points. It's Hufflepuff! Woo! And then just skipping straight on to first place with... 254,000 points. God, Gryffindor's bad. It's Slytherin. Woo! Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw had like 100k less than that. Wow. Like, that's how big the wow. gap was, which is shocking. That is shocking. Um, I will say that we kind of do owe our win to one person, um, which is Rachel, our head human, who was saying that she was going to leave the server when she hit uh, 100k points. Uh, so I waited to reset the points when she got to 900... <laughs> no, nine... Oh my god, numbers. 98,000 points. Oh my so god. So she was like 2k off and I was like, reset. Reset. <laughs> so she is our head human and she's in Slytherin. We then have Meg as our Hufflepuff prefect who had 71,000 points. That then, is more, by the way, both of those people had more than all of Gryffindor's points combined. Fuck's sake, Gryffindors, come on. Take one for your team and actually participate. Then we had, not this Hannah, another Hannah as our Ravenclaw prefect. They had 28,000 points. And then last of all, our Gryffindor prefect with very little competition is Cameron, who had 22,000 points. But there is a twist this year, because I think we can all agree that the Hogwarts house system is a load of bollocks. Oh yeah, sure. It just doesn't work. It's not a way of separating people. I think that there is something far more important that separates us as people hair colour no liking cats or dogs no don't know it's the thing that divides our discord the most the fact that they hate us no but hate does come into it so there's a real thing on our discord that half of them fucking hate Taylor Swift ah oh, yes and half of them fucking love Taylor Swift. So I decided that what really matters in this house point thing is whether the Swifties out-talked the non-Swifties. But most of our professors that are like the mods of the thing 
fucking hate Taylor Swift to the point where now all the Swifties are exiled into the Swift chat and get yelled at and timed out whenever they talk about Taylor Swift outside of the main chat. Yes. Um, do you have a prediction? Who do you think won? If the Swifties or the non-Swifties? If most of the mods aren't Swifties, I unfortunately think the non-Swifties won. But the Swifty chat is active. Yes. Well, I can reveal that the group that lost had 170,000 points. And the group that won had 421,000 points. Fuck me. It's the Swifties, bitches. Did we win? Yes! Taylor Swift supremacy, suck my dick. End the episode there. Yeah, that's it. That's just it. Team Taylor, you're wrong. She's amazing. You just don't like her because misogyny. I mean, to be fair, it was highly likely to win when the Swifty channel is one of the most active channels because Taylor's touring at the moment. Every night it's like, what's she doing now? What's she doing now? Yeah. What's she doing now? And Rachel the head human is also a Swifty. So that that did help like 100k of those points. Vindication. Vindication. Right, let's welcome some new Patreons. A bonking size thank you to Beansidy. Beanside. Beansida. We don't know, tell us. Who has upgraded their pledge? A Tomcat size thank you to Talia. A Bacon size thank you to Baconatrix. Brilliant name. A Lorelei Gilmore size thank you to Laurie. And an Annalise Keating size thank you to Annalise. Thank you all so much for joining the Patreon. We also have a wonderful review. This is from Ella Loves Cheesecake. Same. Same. Who says, blew me away. Hi, I absolutely love your podcast. I recently finished binging every episode and now I'm basically agonizing in agonizing suspense for two weeks in between episodes. I know you always say that you're not relaxing, but for some reason, your voices that I can never tell apart <laughs> always help me fall asleep. Rude. We're not that boring. I got here from the Gaily Prophet and I absolutely oh. love your guys' approach to Harry Potter. As someone who's always been scared of what the future holds, both of your views on life and the knowledge that these two 20-something drunks can make it through life has really helped me be more confident and comfortable with exploring my own opinions to, to making a life for myself. Thank you so much for putting more joy and Gilmore Girls references into the world. P.S. I like you two better than Neil. P.P.S. I freaking love your Christmas episodes, especially the fan fiction ones. Oh my god, they know Correct how to get take. us. You like us more than Neil and you like the Christmas episodes. That's what we want to hear. Thank you so much. And one of our last episodes, we asked the question, what would you make your Horcrux and what would the relic be if you became a Hogwarts founder? I enjoy the one from Brooke Al Hicks who said, my answer for both is a single kernel of smart food white cheddar popcorn. I don't know what smart food is. I'm assuming it's a brand I don't know about. Rilla says, I would make my Horcrux a cast iron pan, sturdy and last forever. My relic would be a glass bluebird I inherited from my grandma. That's sweet and also very smart because yeah, cast iron pans. Thank you to Jocelyn who says, I like you two more than Neil, spell N-E-A-L. Oh my god, this reminds me of an email we got, which, bless this person, spelled all three of our names incorrectly. Aww. And I just, Look. I sent it round and we could not stop laughing. Like it was N-E-A-L for Neil. How were you? I think you were without the E on the end. Yeah. And then I was without the H on the end or something. Look, it was brilliant. Dyslexic representation. Jocelyn says, I like you two more than Neil. I am 13. 
but my parents know. I drink tea when I watch slash listening to you. Love you so much. Listen to you so much. Thank you, Jocelyn. I'm glad your parents know you listen to us. Hive Mind of Evil Bats, which incredible name, says, I would make my Horcrux a lake or something because how the fuck do you break a lake? I will be immortal. You can't kill me. My relic would be a silver ring because I'm always wearing at least one silver ring. Good. We we like a silver person. Keel the Kind says, My Horcrux would be Pinterest as my twisted soul is already caged within its inescapable grasp. As Mood. for an artifact... Probably my Swifty mug. Brilliant. Our type of person. More Swifty representation. Killary in Heels, sus name, uh, says, I think I would make my Horcrux something ubiquitous. That's going on my list of favourite words. Brilliant word. Which is actually a list that I will now read out, even though no one cares. How is it um, congealing more? I don't know. So my list of favourite words that I've started right now is ilk. Zeitgeist, etymology, yonic, nefarious, and bint. Anyway, sorry, like a spoon. But I would be sure to find a particular spoon that I felt was both beautiful and functional. My relic would be a teapot. There's a really consistent theme there. Love that. I have to say, I do agree though. Like, we don't value cutlery enough. A good set of cutlery is just, it makes your food taste better. It makes, like, eating more enjoyable. I'm very passionate about cutlery spoons spoons livy hilton says have to go with a button in a jar at an op shop do they have those in the uk i think charity shop equivalent which brilliant yes that would never get found and horcrux being my doc martin boots that's a good one millie says my horcrux would be a folklore vinyl and my relic would be my chili's water bottle because i take it everywhere i go we just we attract such relatable people that's the one I was going to read next. Uh-huh. My Horcrux would be something sensible like a pebble and my relic would be red, Taylor's version, cardigan. Amazing. Mm. Thank you all so much. That's from um, Jasmine for Coville, by the way. Sorry. Don't forget that you can drop down into our description right now and answer a question and we might read it out. And don't forget as well to read other people's because there's so many more than that. And there's some really great ones. Yeah, you guys are so funny. Yeah. I said that like it was sarcasm and you always do this I know I got told I do it at work the other day and it was really embarrassing yeah apparently I said goodbye to someone and I just went yeah bye and they were like why did you do that I was like I didn't mean to yeah you don't have very good like tone of voice control no I don't I don't right chapter 27 of it's Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince we can't do that for much longer so I had to get it out of the way uh, chapter 27 the lightning struck tower are you singing this entire episode yes but no. I'm Brittany I'm supposed to no I'm not singing this entire episode so Harry manages to apparate he conveniently learns how to apparate I mean he has done it in class before yeah, but like I feel like this is when he does it like properly successfully Harry is great under pressure that's it true. is a consistent part of his character, to be fair. So he a- apparates them back to Hogsmeade um, because Dumbledore is not okay. But then Harry acts surprised that he's still okay. He's like, what do you mean he's still not okay? It's like, what do you mean, Dumbledore? It's a new chapter. Like, you're supposed to be better now. Like, Get better. I thought we were out of the woods, like, and Dumbledore's like, no, like, I'm right where you left me. I'm and still yeah. really and it's sick. Like, and, and, he's, and Harry's like, soon you'll get better. Like, come on. Like, yeah. So Dumbledore can't walk and Harry panics and is like, I might, I might just leave him behind. I'm just going to put him in a house, someone's house, and run <laughs> up to the school. Like, Harry, what are you going to do? Just expelliarmus. No. 
He's gonna run. He's gonna run. He's gonna run. But the issue doesn't matter because Rosmerta comes out. And why is Rosmerta bejeweled in heeled, fluffy slippers? Because she's an Essex girl through and through. I have never seen slippers that have heels. And a silk dressing gown. Icon. The sexy minx. Um, she is milf goals. Yep. Like, I just, you know she's, like, a complete milf. Yeah, she's fully like, only wore this dress so you can take it off. Like, what was it I said about milfs the other day? And just, there was just dead silence in the room as you were all like, what the fuck? I think, didn't I say, like, oh, to be punched by a milf or something? (laughs) And literally everyone in the room was just like, anyway anyway (laughs) she tells them that the dark mark has appeared over the school which they haven't noticed like it's a glowing green thing in the sky yeah no like pay attention guys i know that you're unwell and distracted but yeah dumbledore then stops attention seeking all of a sudden he's just like well i'm fine better now i was just doing it for attention and yeah he just suddenly becomes really fearless and just charges up to the castle yep He's like, brooms now. Brooms. Brooms. I suddenly know what to do. I'm, I suddenly feel better. I started questioning, like, does he realise Harry was right in this moment? Like, the thing is, Harry's been right all along and Dumbledore knows that because Dumbledore know, has known about Draco's plan from the beginning. So, like... I think he just had no faith in Draco to pull it off. Yeah, So, but Harry was right about tonight. So he's like, shit, Harry was right all along. Mm-hmm. I really think that it's truly tragic that Harry never got to say I told you so <laughs> to Dumbledore. Yeah, no, it is. But also, like, it made me question. At this point, Draco has already put the lives of two other students at risk, but Dumbledore is keeping him in the school and like not telling anyone that he knows apart from Snape who's keeping an eye on him so that Draco and his family won't be harmed but this is again one of Dumbledore's things of like how many people's lives is Dumbledore gonna put at risk yeah to save Draco because like Ron nearly died Katie nearly died luckily no one apart from Dumbledore died tonight but like Bill was grievously injured look at the massive bit how has he done that bill was extremely injured like how many lives young innocent lives was dumbledore willing to risk to allow draco to try to do this task so he wouldn't die you know yeah maybe just likes blondes so they fly up to the tower harry thinks in his head will i be responsible again for the death of a friend which Mm. i found so heartbreaking because like he still thinks that I assume he's thinking Sirius, but then I also imagine he might be thinking Cedric. He still believes that both are his fault, which yeah. is so heartbreaking. And it's just like that reoccurring theme, Harry really puts them all. And it's like, no, like, it's like, it's- I so almost said Dumbledore, not Voldemort. It's Voldemort's fault. Yes. Not Harry's. But he just always takes it like incredibly personally. And it's like, not everything is about you. I mean, it's sweet, but you know. I mean, yeah, Harry will think this until the end of the book. Because also, Voldemort uses that against him. He always says things like, you're hiding behind other skirts. When are you going to stand up for yourself? So Voldemort is clever enough to play into that complex. Yeah. I think Dumbledore realises, though, that the mark is just a sign to get him there faster. Like, Harry is like, someone's dead, someone's dead, someone's dead. I think... Because Harry's a dumb bitch. Yeah, I think Dumbledore is pretty... But at the end of the day, he's been told, this happens. Although the only other time we've seen it, no one died. We saw it at 
the yeah. Quidditch World Cup. Yeah, that's true. And this one's just premature. <laughs> because that's the only reason why the mark is over the astronomy tower, because it's like the highest point of the school and it can mm. be seen from everywhere and it's like the easiest place for them to get to. So it's just to get them there faster. Yeah. But what isn't helpful is that's like... So Dumbledore knows it probably isn't anyone's dead, but he's got to go up and check. But he is then at the exact opposite point of where he needs to get to. He's like, I need Snape. I need Snape. Yeah. I need Snape. Snape is in the dungeons. You are on the astronomy tower. Like, even giving the fact that Harry is a fast runner, that's got to be at least a 15-minute sprint to get from the astronomy tower to the dungeons. Yeah. Like, it's like a seven-floor castle. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have anything else to add to that. Great, thanks. I love it when you just nod at me. Yeah. So they arrive and they can hear that something is going on mm-hmm. down. The- oh no, or can they at this point? Or can they? No, no, they can't. But Dumbledore's like, go and get Severus. I need Severus. Um, and Harry's like, fine, I'll go. Runs towards the door, but backs off when he hears footsteps. He's got the invisibility cloak on and Dumbledore immobilizes him yeah. just as the door is opened and Expelliarmus is cast. So Dumbledore uses his last second to immobilize Harry. Yeah, so, so Harry's enchanted. Like, it's he can't move. He's under the invisibility cloak, but it's like there's an invisible string. He just can't move. Yep. And I started questioning why he was immobilized. Like, why does Harry need to be kept safe and sound? It's because he's a dumb bitch. But also, like, yeah, because so that he doesn't mess up the plan. I don't think it's necessarily just to keep Harry safe. It's because Harry will jump into any situation and be like, I can help, I can help. And he absolutely can't. Mm -hmm. So it's more so that, like, Dumbledore must know at this moment, like, when the door opens, uh, he's seen the dark mark, he knows Draco has done something, and that means he's going to have to die tonight. So, like, he knows Harry will try to stop that death occurring and he has to die tonight. So, like, at the end of the day, he's just trying to keep the plan in motion. Yeah. He's trying to unalive himself really efficiently. (laughs) Because, yeah, Snape... If Harry was to try to get in the way, Snape would have to reveal himself to prevent Harry being forcefully taken to Voldemort. Like, basically, if Harry was visible and the Death Eaters won and killed... Dumbledore there's then nothing to stop them going okay let's take Harry to Voldemort so Harry kind of has to be hidden so that Snape doesn't have to be like no you can't take him which actually then he does later in the chapter and it annoys me how he just gets away with it I suppose he's with particularly dumb death eaters because they're like Snape's like no you can't kill him the Dark Lord wants to do it himself I'm like okay so capture him and take him there get a big net big net for Harry so Draco disarms Dumbledore I wonder if this will be important I did think there's nice, obviously, like, we don't like the whole wand thing, but I did think there's some nice mirroring in the fact that then Malfoy then obviously hesitates for the kill and hesitates for the kill again and again and again. In the end, he can't do it, which is a mirror to how in book seven, the reason why Harry manages to get the wand, which then switches the elder ones, but it's because draco hesitates in giving them away he Mm. in the end cannot say it's definitely harry because he doesn't want harry ron hermione to die so like i like that mirroring of the hesitation and that's quite a good setup for the wand law like the elder wand switches allegiance just with disarming but then switches allegiance again when harry manages to pull the wands off draco because at the end of the day draco didn't want them to die in malfoy manner and he does he does end up saying saving the trio's life in that way yeah but the one shit is stupid yeah i like how there's a sentence where 
both Dumbledore and Draco are double named as in Albus Dumbledore, Draco Malfoy, because it kind of like humanizes them and shows that they're on a level in this moment. Like this whole interaction is obviously such like one of the best bits of written dialogue in the books. It's absolutely fantastic. And like, yeah, the way that they're put on a level by middle naming them both, it's not like head teacher student. It's just like two people battling yeah. out how to do something. Yeah. Dumbledore tells Draco that he's not a killer and this really made me laugh. You've not watched Succession, but there's a bit in that when the like father figure is like, you're not a killer, you've got to be a killer. So all I pictured is Dumbledore being like, you've got to be a killer. But like, the thing is, he knows all too well that Draco's not going to do it. He's not going to kill him. Well, I also find it interesting that he says like, killing is not as easy as the innocent believe. Like, Dumbledore calls him innocent, even though Draco has done some really bad things. He still thinks he's innocent enough to be redeemed. Yeah. Which is kind of, like, sad and beautiful and tragic, like, at the end of the day that, like, that he... That, that Draco is a bad person, but he's still so young. He has kind of been groomed for this life. Oh, yeah. Like, I do wish we had more of Draco's redemption, but yeah, he's so young. And as we find out later, he's doing this to protect his family. So Dumbledore believes he's innocent still which i really like yeah i find it i don't know i feel like could dumbledore have done more like i know that there's like the argument of him not wanting to like directly be like hey let me put you in witness protection i can help because like voldemort could find out but also like just fucking do it like and then once he's protected you know it just it it didn't feel like dumbledore actually did that much when he knew the situation yeah, he was like, if I revealed anything, it would have got you killed. And it's like, I, I feel like you could have done something. I wonder if he has like a hang up over like the last time he tried to like hide or protect people. And we know that how that ended. So like, maybe he doesn't like trust that it will work. And I suppose Draco would be a liability if he put him into protection without Draco wanting it. Like if Draco was put into protection, but really wants to go and join Voldemort and the Death Eaters, he's then like a massive liability because he risks killing the people that are protecting him and passing information on he might collect during the protection onto Voldemort if he runs away. Like at the end of the day, as horrible as it is, Draco's got to want to be put into protection. Yeah. But also just kidnap them and do it. Yeah. You know? Ew. Arthur, you're the worst. Yeah, this is disgusting. Thanks. I find it interesting that throughout this discussion, Draco is desperately searching for praise and glory. Mm. Um, daddy issues is what I wrote. He wants to be Voldemort's favourite. Like, he said this really interesting line of, once I've done this, it, like... Snape just wants to help because he wants all the glory. But once I've done this, it won't be Snape who's Voldemort's favourite. It'll be me. Yeah. Like, is so childish. But then he's also getting validation from Dumbledore's praise. Dumbledore says, like, oh, well done. Like, this was quite clever. I actually didn't think of that. And, and Draco looks, like, relatively happy with that, which just makes him come across as so childish in the most heartbreaking way. Yeah. I also love it because when he tells Dumbledore about the vanishing cabinet, Dumbledore groans. And I just love it because, like, you just know it was definitely on his to-do list. Like, you know when you're an adult and you have that thing that you mean to do and it just slips off eventually and six months later you're like, ah, oh, shit. Like, this is that, but, like, with, like, horrible ramifications. And I feel like Dumbledore definitely kind of made a mental note at some point, like, 
after Montague got stuck in and was like, well, I need to like check up on that. Yeah. And then forgot or didn't find the time. And now it's like bitten him in the ass. Like it was definitely on his to-do list, but he didn't like in his wildest dreams think that it would, like, it would actually happen. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Which like really sucks. It, but it's a bit like would have, could have, should have. Like, yeah. You should have prioritized that Dumbledore. But also... Dumbledore is Dumbledore is his own worst enemy because he is constantly like I've got to do everything I've got to do everything he's not very good at delegation yeah so like there's so much that he keeps up in his brain that of course this one small thing slipped yeah. through it's also like so funny because this should be such a major thing that like a student got stuck in a vanishing cabinet like and I feel like if Montague had been in Gryffindor Dumbledore definitely would have remembered made it a priority yeah. but instead he's like eh sorry Montague I kind of forgot that you existed yeah I also think I wonder though because of the way that the room of hidden things looks whether Dumbledore is delegating and he said Filch get rid of that cabinet it's like getting more and more it is congealed. it is he said Filch get rid of that cabinet there's like chemical reactions happening it's quite fascinating really he said Filch get rid of that cabinet and he's been saying that with for years with stuff he's been saying get rid of that cursed object and Filch is actually not getting rid of stuff and just putting it all there yeah like he's actually delegating too much and not checking on what Filch is doing yeah but it is really smart from Draco like this is a mastermind plan yeah like, it's absolutely brilliant like yeah this was such a good catch from his end and it makes me wonder as well like I don't know because I feel like I don't know if it's like explicitly said or if we just assume that like Voldemort came to him and was like you need to do this but I also wonder whether there was an element of Draco being like oh like I think you could do this and Voldemort being like well you gotta do it now like yeah. it's you like probably he might have like gone to Voldemort thinking he would have got someone else to do it and then Voldemort being like well yeah go ahead it's like when you have like an idea for a project at work and you get really excited about it and you tell your boss and they're like yes go do it and you're like, like oh no me? me 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 i made more work for myself yeah it's also just as well as childish it's fully like when he's getting praise from dumbledore he's like yeah i did something bad like i'm i'm oh, gonna yeah, sit yeah, with yeah. this like yeah i'm so clever but also i think like it makes sense for his character and it really reminded me of cory like the snow in ballad of songbirds and snakes of he has been raised to think he is better than everyone else but on the flip side punished for not achieving enough yeah. so that creates this like egotistical nightmare that is draco of like well i am better than everyone else i've been told that since birth um but also i will be so severely punished compared to other people if i don't perform so like he's like a high achiever who won't let up like it's it's a bad mix basically yeah i do love like i think one of my favorite tropes is the like villain speech where like they just have to tell you everything they've done and how they did it like i just i love it as like one of those shitty little tropes where it's like this isn't how people talk this isn't what people do however i adore i adore that this is a flip on that trope because like we have said time and time again and we'll say it again in book seven Voldemort does the villain speech and therefore Harry keeps getting away but this time Draco is purposely doing the villain speech because at the end of the day he doesn't want to kill Dumbledore and is waiting for the other Death Eaters to get through so it's a really nice play out because Dumbledore keeps going 
if you wanted to kill me, you would have done it the moment you came in. And I just love that, like, it's a nice little flip on that. Like, Draco really is stalling for time. He yeah. wants to stall for time. Yeah, and, like, so does Dumbledore as well, because he needs Snape to get there. Yeah, exactly. Um, which, like, speaking of, like, Draco just starts to tell Dumbledore that Snape's a double agent. And obviously, like, we know that this isn't the case, but, like, if it was, Draco shouldn't be telling Dumbledore. This is, like, quite dumb and immature on his end to be, like... Hold on a second. I'm trying to imagine it from Draco's perspective. I guess he thinks, oh, but he's about to die, so it's fine. Yeah, he does think he's about to die. But, like, he's got to be open to the fact that, like, he might survive and therefore he shouldn't be, like, Snape's a double agent, you know? But I suppose because Draco knows that Snape is pretending... No, hold on. I can't articulate it well enough. But he is telling him, he's like, you've been tricked, you're a fool, he's a double agent. But for all Draco knows, like, the Order of the Phoenix could break in and save Dumbledore in the next second, and then he would have blown Snape's cover. There's something I want to articulate, but I cannot wrap my head around it in the state I'm in. It's basically about how everyone thinks Snape is on their side. Exactly, but Draco thinks it, but he's just blown his cover. But that wouldn't blow his cover because Draco knows that Snape is also pretending for the other side. So, like, Dumbledore's going to believe what he believes. All the sides are going to believe what they believe. I still think it's dumb. Mm, Well, that, again, feeds into this childishness that Draco has. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and it's, again, kind of wanting that, like, approval and I guess kind of like one-upping Dumbledore. Yeah, like I was right. Draco, in a move that is actually quite terrifying and advanced, has has had Rosmerta Imperius for most of the school year. So like the toilets in the Leaky Cauldron and the wine that was Rosmerta's Mm. were the link, which is actually a very subtle, very clever link, I think. Yeah, and it's really good as well because like you kind of have like Dumbledore starts to work out the plan. Like he kind of asks questions and starts uh, to answer them himself. He's like, well, you must have had someone. And then he like has the epiphany and he's like, oh my God, like like, Rosmerta's been imperious, which I just like that he just like starts to realise as he's like, oh, it's really good. It is, it is. I find it absolutely fascinating that Drake has been taking ideas from Hermione. It's again so childish but okay so this again i'm gonna reference ballad of songbirds and snakes without spoilers sorry but draco has this thing again where he's happy to steal the ideas of the minority groups that he hates whilst not believing that they are capable of those ideas the cognitive dissonance is shocking like he is on the side that believes that Muggleborns don't deserve to be wizards and have stolen their magic. But how can you believe that when you have stolen the most intelligent ideas you've ever seen from her to use for your own ends? Therefore, you must be at least knowledgeable, if not appreciative, of her ideas. Like, yeah, it's just the cognitive dissonance. And I think this is so reflective of people who are like in, like extremely racist or anything else oh, who hate any minority groups. Like it actually takes wild brain loops to be able to do that. Yeah, no, for sure. I also think it's quite interesting because we've talked a lot before about how Montague getting trapped in the vanishing cabinet by Fred and George, like comes back around and is like- Karma comes back around yeah exactly and how if fred and george hadn't have done that 
then the Death Eaters would have never gotten in. Dumbledore wouldn't have died yep. at this point in time. And the Vanishing Cabinet goes further back than that. It was actually nearly Headless Nick who smashed it to save Harry in book two. Yeah. But like, I think that this is like quite an interesting similar thing where also if Hermione hadn't done the coins, yes. yeah. then this also wouldn't have worked. Like, I'm sure he would have found another way to communicate with, with Rosmata, but yes, absolutely. Like it wouldn't have worked yeah, for as sure. well. Yeah, it's kind of like you can't control who uses your ideas once you've put them out in the world and it's kind of scary and haunting and yeah. things like that. It's a big like Scooch Braun moment. I adore that Dumbledore in this moment, knowing that whatever happens he's going to die still corrects Draco's language uh, and Draco ridicules him for it but this is exactly what makes Dumbledore like a, the reason why he fights for the good side is even in the worst moments possible, he will correct a, like abusive language. Mm -hmm. And that's just like a fabulous trait that he has. Yeah, absolutely. Circling back, sorry, uh, to the point that you made about how people that hate minorities will like take ideas from minorities and stuff. This is like maybe a slightly convoluted point, but sure. it's just something like interesting that is one of those things, you know, when you always think about something and you never like articulate it and then other people start to articulate it and you're like oh my god yes it wasn't just me yeah recently i've seen people talking about how men who and this might sound extreme to say but i think that the average man on a subliminal level thinks that women like aren't funny don't have interests don't have hobbies like yeah it's like something it's that classic tiktok classic at this yeah. point but that one that's like women don't have hobbies it's like yeah no i've yeah. never had a hobby in and my I life think there's obviously varying degrees like there's it can be like really subtly socialized and it's not as extreme as them being like oh you don't have any hobbies but then it also can be that extreme but i think that it's like a very common thing that men kind of look down on women as their objects and they aren't like sentient they don't have their own thoughts and opinions and personalities and they aren't funny and whatnot and i think this this is a very common thing even in like the most like left wing of men that it's kind of ingrained into them because of socialization but something that i've seen people talking more and more about recently which i found kind of gratifying because i've always thought about it is how men will like copy your personality take your jokes take your like insightful opinions and stuff and use it to pull other women and like it's something that i've noticed before in my past men doing this and people are now starting to talk about it and i'm like thank god and that just like i don't know it's slightly convoluted link but it did just remind me of what you were saying about how people like hate minorities but take their ideas, ideas and stuff like that and i think it's the same men look down on women but then will like turn themselves into parts of women to appeal to women yes men really do be the man and it's disgusting literally disgusting we learn that a, an important piece of information which is that voldemort will kill draco's whole family unless he does this and this is where i think oh we're well, like, we gonna do a shot oh yeah sorry is are these they're double, double shot glasses okay. so if you haven't i don't know actually it's been so long at this so point so many episodes ago the the double episode with Neil, we believe we messed up three times each. Yeah, so these are for that. We will do more, but we have to spread them out so we don't die. Don't kill me. So yeah, we learned the important piece of information <laughs> 
that Voldemort will kill Draco's whole family, which makes me think if this were the movie, like, because the acting that Tom Felton does in this scene, we'll talk about it in the film episode, he but just, good God. But mwah, mwah. Just all throughout the films, he just walks all over, yeah. like, and he's not done enough and maybe it's by choice but like i know he's done the planet of the ape reboots but they're complete shit no he really hasn't done um, enough since he's also the only one remaining who still defends jk so gone fallen all the way off in my estimation if oh, all the 100%. Other, like for all the others to come out against her her to him to go no yeah Ugh. no but fuck that dude but the acting act. my my god and like i just remember that line like i have to do it or he'll kill me and my family yeah. like and by his family also he has quite a small family he means his mum, like mommy mm. so he is also trapped and abused like i do love this trope in kind of dystopian fantasy things of like the person that you think is evil the realization moment that they are also a child and they mm. are also a child and abused and haunted like yeah. he was too young to have a choice and is now being blackmailed to escape and i don't say that in the way that that makes him completely innocent like i don't believe that like he has done bad shit but the end the day he was groomed and raised to think bad shit he hasn't become an adult to be able to think for himself and now he's being blackmailed and can't escape like yeah. it's an extremely tragic set of circumstances yeah a hundred percent so dumbledore offers to protect draco and his whole family he's like i know places like we can hide with no returns what does that mean like as in like he doesn't want anything in return yeah. like you know it's quite a classic thing of like i'll protect you if you give me information if you do this it's mm. like I will protect you. I will send people. I will put people at risk right now to go and get your mother. Just say the word. He genuinely really wants to save Draco and yeah. his soul. Yeah. Four more Death Eaters burst in and join them. Well, before that. Oh, for God's sake. Was Draco lowering his wand? Props. Props. We never know, but... Insightful opinion. Props. Um, props. This is the insightful takes that you guys sign up for. Like was Fox. was he gonna do it? Was he gonna lower his wand? I um, think so. The four the four death angels does not include Bellatrix. Okay. The films had absolutely ruined this for me. I was convinced Bellatrix was gonna walk in. Like when the first four came in, I was like, oh, maybe she walks in later. No, she's just not in this I scene. Feel like I've not watched this film in forever because I don't even remember her being in this scene. Yeah, she's she's on the top of the tower. I think I've just not watched it in ages. I mean, neither have I. I just like have it very because I actually haven't watched any of the movies apart from when we watched them, so they're fresh for me. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, she's in this scene. Hmm. Hmm. Do Harry's eyes not get dry if he can't blink? Yeah, that's a good point. Like his, like he's got his eyes open, and he specifically says he can't blink. Are they not so dry that they're gonna fall out? Yeah. Maybe. I'm now like conscious of how much I'm blinking. <laughs> Maybe it's like a um, clockwork orange situation. There's actually a house elf just like putting droppers in his eyes. I actually haven't read the clockwork orange. I got two yeah. chapters. I got two chapters in and didn't like it. And I knew there it was a rape a hard, scene, so I, I didn't a hard read it. Read. Uh, the the film's like good, horrific, obviously, but good. Okay. Um, I sh I do want to. It was on my reading list when I was seventeen along with like five other books and i just when i learned what it was about prioritize the other five like it's, it's a hard read yeah it really is saying that what the fuck was with six form english and the hard reads you're set like oh, looking God. back i was like like i saw someone on the tube reading the god of small things and i was like 
why were we made to read that? Like the entire point of that book is about incest, which like, I'm not one of these people that don't believe those books shouldn't be written. Like no book should be banned, like things like that. But at the end of the day, why was that the set text for 16 year olds? Like yeah. wild. Yeah. And then yeah, The Clockwork Orange, The Color Purple, which by the way, one of the best books ever written, but extremely harrowing. Like my yeah. God, the bluest eye. Like obviously they were trying to expand our minds and things like that, but the leap from GCSE English to A-level yeah. English is wild. Yeah, on Chesil Beach, which I've told the story before, but about my teacher being like, no, she wasn't assaulted by her father. Where did you get that from? And I'm like, the from text? reading the book. You're an English teacher. How didn't you get that? Yes, four Death Eaters who are not Bellatrix burst in. Dumbledore must be like, I knew you were trouble. Here we go. Yeah. Here they are. <laughs> You've got Amicus and Electo, who were they mentioned in Goblet of Fire? I was desperately trying to remember. Well, the Carrows. So. The only time I can think they might be is in Goblet of Fire when Voldemort's going around the circle and saying who's missing. Yeah. Does he say the Carrows? Maybe. I'd have to fact check. I really can't remember. Were yeah. they mentioned in the breakout newspaper? I don't know. It is like, I know that there's been like quite a few points in the books that we've said like, oh, this is when shit starts getting getting so real right now. But like, this really is another one of them, like having Death Eaters in Hogwarts, like that really is like the start of the Great War. Like this is where it really begins and starts to feel like, oh God, this is like this safe space that we've had, that we've always literally been told that Hogwarts is safe. It's the, safe, it's the first thing we learn about Hogwarts. Yeah. It's the safest place on earth. As well as it's just, it's the subtext all through the books. It, it's it's home. It's, you know, it's where we have all of these good memories and these this found family and stuff. And then it's like, oh God, like it's it's been penetrated. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, um, that was a, a not a needed use of penetration. I know, I'm sorry. It's been uh, violated by Death Eaters. Yeah, it has. Including Fenrir Greyback, who is biting outside of the full moon, uh, which is truly villainous and nightmarish. We've talked yeah. about before how Fenrir Greyback is like one of the best written villains in the, like so much better than Voldemort. Absolutely fucking terrifying and horrific. Yeah. And I really like the fact that like Dumbledore points out like Draco I'm really surprised you invited him and Draco's like yeah I didn't want him here because like mm. at the end of the day Draco does still have friends in this school yeah. um, and it is really dangerous to let him in here like this oh, is God. again playing into that like what should have been done more with the redemption arc because Draco didn't want this like he doesn't yeah. want random children to be bitten by a half transformed werewolf yeah could you imagine if he'd like just gone off and managed to break into one of the I know. dormitories. Yeah. I know. Horrific. Amicus is stealing my fucking nickname. So I exclusively never write down Dumbledore. I only write down Dumby because who's got time? And Amicus calls Dumbledore Dumby. I was like, excuse me. Are you Amicus? I am. Is Amicus the man or the woman? I don't know. I have no idea which one is which. I kind of want to head cam- canon them both as like just like non-binary siblings non-binary siblings yeah but i like that dumbledore first names everyone but it reminds you that he taught every yeah. single one of these but do you not think in that dumbledore teaching every single one of these part of this rise of fascism thank you for that plant thanks for your contribution part of this rise in fascism is like it's not dumbledore's fault obviously it's massive wider societal issues mm. but like 
it's also slightly his failings that the school became a breeding ground for all these people. Like, yeah. he can first name them because he was their teacher, but Hogwarts, it's not just the Wizarding Society that has to change. Hogwarts has so many issues it needs to address because it is a breeding ground for Definitely. fascism. And, like, this is what we talk about. We've already mentioned it. We'll mention it more when we get to the end of the books, but about how the ending is shit because none of the structures change. Yeah. The structures that created Voldemort do not change. It's just you've defeated that one yeah but, but another one will happening. pop up because you yeah. have a literal breeding ground yeah, for exact, fascism exactly like there's so much about the wizarding wizarding society as well as hogwarts like the fucking house system that just really breeds this kind of thing and it just feels like bigotry goes unchecked basically yeah. and it's so ingrained into their society Snape appears. Yep, Snape yep. bursts in. We get that classic, like, Snape dramatic entrance. Like, he's really on some, like, vigilante shit. Like, boom, he's there. Yes, Snape bursts in. And it's again haunting because for the first time, Dumbledore sounds scared and his voice turns pleading. But what we don't realize, what Harry doesn't realize, is he is not pleading to live. He is pleading to die, to do it now because he's still desperate to save Draco's soul, not just his life. Like, it's not like Draco is just gonna get away and live. It's about saving Draco's soul because he is not a killer. Yeah, and I also think that there's like wider implications as well about how it's stopping Voldemort from corrupting this one child. Yeah. But then the messaging that that has, if he's able to stop Voldemort being able to do that, versus spreading the message that yeah Voldemort can make a teenage boy make a child do this then it's like it's an optics thing as well as obviously you know Draco being an important individual it's very much about like making sure that Voldemort doesn't have the power to do that yeah yeah it's taking that power away from him yeah but also the plead is also a double bluff because by pleading, he's convincing the Death Eaters of Snape's, that Snape's on the bad side, whilst also begging Snape to do something he doesn't want to do. Like, Snape does not want to do this. He's like, look what you made me do. Look what yeah. you're making me do. Like, this is why I think Snape has so much anger in these chapters, because he doesn't even say in the flashbacks, or did I make this up? He's like, Dumbledore says something about saving Draco's soul and Snape's like, what about my soul? And Dumbledore's basically like, yeah, that's long gone, mate. Like, <laughs> yeah, fuck that. Fuck, fuck you. You're a Nazi, mate. Yeah, so like, but Dumbledore is the only person that knows Snape's heart, that knows everything about Snape. The only person on the planet. And the fact that Snape then has to murder him is disgusting and horrible. Like, yeah. what a thing to put someone through. Yeah. Like, it's awful. Did I make it up or is it just a film thing that all along Voldemort knew like wanted Snape to kill Dumbledore as the end game versus Draco doing it did I make that up is that a film thing That's that Voldemort always me. expected Dra uh, Snape to do it anyway I think Snape says the Dark Lord will expect me to do it if D Vo Draco can't but I can't remember mm. Mm. I think yeah I don't know I feel like I don't know if it's a film thing or if I made it up that he kind of was like I've set Draco this but you know you're not gonna, gonna do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he kind of 
thought that would be endgame yeah i really like that the way that snape's face is described works whichever way you're reading this from whether you know the information or don't it says snape has a face full of revulsion and hatred which from harry's perspective is revulsion and hatred towards dumbledore but actually it's revulsion and hatred at himself uh-huh. for what he's being made to do and like how badly he fucked up to have to have the worst task in the world like he is repenting for the rest of his life for what he did which he deserves to because Mm -hmm. he did the worst fucking thing but like his soul is doomed like yeah it do be gone it do be gone so he casts a vada kedavra and i have a voodoo kedavra and one of my key questions is why the fuck does this lift dumbledore's body up and over the what are they called? <laughs> Maybe he just did a little jump. Like he really wanted the dramatic so he knew it was coming. And like just jumped. Like you know when you're like getting a photo taken and you all try and jump and get the timing right. What if he was like, okay, I'm going to yeet myself out the window at the exact moment. Or maybe he didn't think Snake was actually going to do it. So he was like, well, I'm just going to off myself out the window. Well, like, yeah, like if he jumps, he's going to die. That's a fucking tall tower. Oh my god like yeah why does he get lifted up like we've been told avada kedavra just kills you where you stand yeah like we've been told there's no marks on the body you just drop down dead so mm. why is dumbledore suddenly like like the ramparts are presumably like waist high at least why is the spell like i think he just did a little jump for the drama snape unalives dumbledore dumbledore's fully like i don't want to live forever i am not gonna long live like you've gotta just end this for me and harry's like what the fuck dude now we've really got bad blood yeah like maybe he like yeets himself out the window because like he doesn't want like his body to be there like he wants snape to be able to get away and if there's no body, there's no crime. So it's like it's important that the Order of the Phoenix don't know immediately that he's dead, so that Snape can get out. Whereas, like, I guess if his body was right there, then there's more chance of one of them coming in and being like, "Yo, Snape, what the fuck?" A I mean, I, I, mean so I don't think Dumbledore, Dumbledore controls little... it. I don't think he controlled his jump then fall. No, no, I think he did a little jump. He was like, "I know it's coming at this moment. I got to time it right." So he was like, "Yeet," and then, "Yeet," yeah. But yeah, this is like, shit. This is like a massive, like everything has changed yep. from now on. Yep. It's it's huge. And like, you have this like classic thing in storytelling with the guide role. And like Dumbledore's always fitted into like, he's the guide. He's the guide for like Harry. And then as a product of that for like the reader, and this is just like a huge moment that it's like Harry's guide, Harry's teacher, his mentor, way than yeah. one, his in a way father figure is gone. Yeah. Like, Harry, you're on your own kid now. Like, yeah. yeah it's... But I think what's so, I, I actually think you make a good point about the body being thrown off so we don't see it. It plays into that convincement, being convinced, what was that? no, <laughs> being convinced for the next chapter that he will come back because it's a trope in fantasy like think of Gandalf like he gets killed but he comes back I think mm. you have an expectation as a first time reader of that he's gonna come back Did he's you think gonna he come was back gonna come back I don't know how I felt at the time and we'll get into it in book seven about what a good twist on the trope it is that you kind of think will he come back will he come back and then he does but in the death sequence yeah. 
But I think in this chapter, you're like, is he really dead? Has he really gone? I think as the reader, you think he might come back because the body's not there. Like the body's gone. Maybe he didn't die. But then it's the kind of twist where, because Harry thinks that too. He's like, if I chase them, I'm going to catch yeah. them. And he then has he's this like, really tragic, like irrational thought of if he can catch Snape, it will be fine. But then he says to himself, actually, the moment yeah. the body bank curse got lifted was the moment I knew. So it's like he did know all along. And I think you, as the reader, know all along. But yeah, because fantasy has told us the good wizard comes back, you yeah. think he might, he might, he might. Which yeah. is why I love the end of book seven death sequence. Yeah. I like something I fucking hate in any kind of media is characters coming back from the yeah same because it just immediately weakens like it ruins every other death yeah it loses any impact like you have to do it so well yeah so well like i think i'm trying to think what's done it well i didn't hate i didn't love it but i didn't hate it in game of thrones with john purely because we'd already had so many characters die and stay dead that yeah. it was the exception and it but... was set up very well yeah but like you've never watched supernatural it's like a commonly joked about thing honest to god so like the main it was two brothers were the two main characters and then there was like some like side. but even just the main two brothers died multiple times each and i only watched up until i think season eight and they'd all died two or three times each yeah. like it was like every other se- like each season would end with one of the brothers dying and then would open with them being brought back nah, and it, was like, it just cheapens it, it yeah it, it's ridiculous no i agree like it's a real pet peeve of mine yep. like just let them stay dead yeah be brave let them do it yeah so we have a question to finish off this episode if i could find it the question is from meg yeah. and it is where is your favourite place you've travelled to and why Meg get ready for one of those annoying things where you've asked us for one thing and we will give you loads Bogner Reach Scunthorpe <laughs> oh I've actually never been to Scunthorpe no or Bogner Regis don't go to Bogner Regis okay I'm like I'm unfortunately like that classic Brit where like I've been to mostly the most cliche places like Florida Turkey greece spain like i've not done the interesting travel because i've never really had like the time or the budget for it as an independent adult and i will say like my parents are the worst like holidayers like all dad does is work all mum does is like want to sunbathe and read like we're not like a sightseeing kind of family blah blah blah. and i'd like to start to do more of that independently but most of my holidays have been family ones yeah or would they've been with you um ew um so yeah i want to get better at like going to more interesting places and doing more interesting things my parents are actually going on a cruise in a few weeks and they're taking my auntie and uncle i mean i don't agree with the fact that they're going here but they're going to israel which for some reason um my aunt and uncle for not dodgy reasons just to be clear they're amazing people are really like just excited and fascinated mm. by israel um so they're actually my parents do all these cruises and never book any excursions they will sometimes get off the boat but not always wow. and they walk us until they find the first bar and then they just sit in the first bar 
it's they're awful travelers but yeah so they're actually because they're going with the aunt and uncle like booking an excursion and they're going to like the dead sea and stuff wow, so i'm like awesome being cultured but anyway yeah guys the uh the camera's overheated camera's so overheated the last it's gonna minutes. take too long to fit fix that so we'll just yeah. audio only the end of this episode but yeah anyway the point being i've really not been to like interesting places but I will say New York, obviously, I loved it. Yep. I've talked before about my absolute love of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I loved Minnesota. Albania. Yes. That was great. Uh, how about you? I have traveled quite a bit in Europe, but have rarely had the money to go outside of Europe, apart from basically when we went. I, I would absolutely love to. Like, I know where I want to go. Like, I want to go everywhere, but like... I've got yeah Japan's top of my list Um, I've got so many places I want to visit outside of Europe but we are very lucky as Brits that Europe is very cheap to get to and everywhere else is very expensive so I've done a lot of traveling in Europe so for city breaks I think my favorite is Rome Um, Mm. I adored Rome I thought it was like just obviously incredible food amazing history i love like a mixed holiday where you've got like the nice weather you can sit outside but also learn about like different culture and, and like food yeah and yeah. the food and the I wine liked, i liked rome i had the advantage of when i went i was visiting someone that had lived there for a year so yeah. like we went to like a um vintage market sounds like posher than it was it was literally just like a local vintage market that mm. there were no tourists like so we did things like that and like ate really good food because she knew all the good places yes in terms of like hot beachy holidays um i've got to put albania at the top of this because no one's been to it and i like being unique and cool like it was also just lovely it was absolutely beautiful it's like the undiscovered greece basically all all of the time i think about where we like sat and recorded the episode like with the mountains and the water it was like and paradise the, like i'm not even kidding it's one of the things sometimes if i'm not doing my weird insane like stories in my head to go to sleep i just think about that yeah. like i just wish i could apparate there yeah it was like paradise i have i i'm lucky enough to been to iceland i want to go back and do it more because we weren't old enough to hire a car when we went so we mm. were quite limited where we could go but it is like like nowhere else on this planet yeah. like it's like a different world um so that's was amazing for just the experience of that um, um i'm berlin. looking at yes berlin is also that's second only to Rome I, in terms of my favorite cities yeah seriously it it's london but more spacious and cleaner yeah and more bondage uh yeah it's it's not even crossing into a different bit of land but it is a different country uh scotland mm. um i planned that holiday that me and neil did that road trip for four and a half years because we were waiting until we were old enough to hire a car to do it because unless you pay a fortune you have to be 25 to hire a car in this country we hit 25 when the pandemic hit so we then had to wait another two years that's so frustrating uh, honestly it was like well obviously there's a lot of bad things about the pandemic but i was actually like wow me you've affected me this personally yeah. um, i've never been to scotland or ireland and it's but like one time I'm like, I am, I'm gonna get the train up to Scotland one time because that for me, just the train journey will be like yeah. a holiday. But yeah, the Highlands of Scotland, my God, like I knew it was gonna be good. I had, I and I was worried because I'd built it up in my head for five years. I had planned this road trip for five years. It had been like my dream holiday destination. And it was just as good as I imagined. You, I cannot believe we have scenery that beautiful in the same bit of land that we live on. Like, 
my god so yeah, yeah. absolute shout out to scotland for yeah. just being incredible speaking of which i i love wales i think wales is so oh, wales underrated is gorgeous yeah it's fantastic and like welsh people are so nice yes all of them <laughs> all of them every single welsh person unlike the french <laughs> And yes, thank you, Meg. That was a brilliant yeah, question. Yeah, that was a great question. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. I all of a sudden feel awful and might vomit. So go do that. Goodbye. It's the congealing in your stomach. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ah, don't think you're getting the outro that easily. So first question. Did anyone notice anything weird about this episode? If you did and you haven't tweeted us or Instagram DM'd us about it yet, ideally Twitter, Go and go and tweet us, go and DM us, come and email us, write it on Discord, tell us what you thought we were doing in this episode. I'm gonna give you time to do that, I don't wanna say it yet. Okay, what we were doing, which I hope most of you noticed, was naming as many Taylor Swift songs and references as we could. Now, if you did notice, how many did we mention? Also write this as an answer if you did notice, write it somewhere because I'm about to show you everything we reference. So try to say how many we did before I show you in three, two, one, go. It's Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I thought we were out of the woods, like I'm right where you left me. Soon you'll get better, run. Bejeweled, only wore this dress so you can take it off. Fearless, enchanted, an invisible string. Safe and sound, all too well. The Innocent, time. like sad and beautiful and tragic. Wildest dreams, would've, could've, should've. One Scott that you existed. Mastermind, me, no, me, me, me. Yeah, I did something bad. Epiphany, it karma come like Scooter Braun moment. Be the man, if this were the movie, haunted. I know places, his eyes open. I knew you were trouble. The Great War. Vigilante shit. Look what you made me do. The end game. But I don't want to live forever. Long live. Or bad blood. If there's nobody, there's no crime. Jump then fall. Everything has changed. Harry, you're on your own kid now. Like yeah. the moment I knew. That was a total of 41 Taylor Swift references. Let us know if you got any of them or them all. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Yolanda, Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, Patrick, Nick, Michael, Kylie, Cara and Molly, Jasmine, Florian and Ash. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.